Toronto, joined by my number one amigo, Eric Ronnebeck. You ever had a kiwi fruit, Nathan? Uh, yeah. Uh, you ever meet those people that are like, I eat the skin of a kiwi fruit? Yep. Yeah, knock it off. Just stop. Stop eating the skin of a kiwi. Yeah, fruit. just stop. Just don't, don't do that. Take important message. Tanks don't get cold. Takes don't get colder than that, Eric. Uh, <laughs> and to my number one friend, stir user, Kevin Garver. Friends. Kevin. <laughs> Kevin, what's it like using the top social media platform of 1998? That's... Hold on a second. <laughs> oh, sorry, I have an alert on. Friendster. Dear Lord. By the way, I'd like to announce my retirement from the podcast we peaked <laughs> last week. Uh, we had 2,500 downloads. and uh, Did we really? Clearly, based on the way that this introduction is going, we're planning on nosediving quickly. So I'm, uh, yeah. I'm officially announcing my retirement. This is my Jeter-esque my, victory lap. My goal was to get rid of all our listeners in this intermediate <laughs> time. So I, is it working, do you think? We're, we're pulling a Nirvana. Is I just wanted them to know what we were really we're like. We're planning on losing a lot of downloads with this next episode, If they felt guys. like the last episode was really good, I wanted them to know what a normal episode was like. <laughs> Always searching for quality. This episode was a normal episode. Oh, oh, okay, okay. So this week we're going to get... We have a lot uh, to do. Usually we review the last game. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and review last week's game for the Seahawks. They didn't play. So that's done. Now we got that out of the way. But I thought it'd be cool if this week... Right side, the offensive line never looked better. I thought it'd be cool. (laughs) Exactly. Didn't allow single pressure. No blown Um, coverages. (laughs) Let's hit a couple couple stories that uh, hit the table. Last week, a lot of talk about the Seahawks picking up an offensive lineman in for either... Either in uh, free agency or trade, Brandon Albert's name came up. Dwayne Brown's name came up. Uh, there was another offensive lineman we could trade for. I can't remember who it was. Uh, could that be Cordy Glenn out Cord- of uh, Buffalo? Right, Cordy Glenn. It's a fake pe- name. Uh, people are getting excited about San Francisco because they'll apparently trade everyone in the right deal. Um, so let's uh, let's Kevin, let's go over these options a little bit. Let's start with Brandon Albert because that seems like the one that is the most likely to end up on the Seahawks if that happens. Uh, Brandon Albert, what's his uh, story, Morning Glory? So. I'm gonna keep doing weird stuff to try to drive away the the people. I don't two thousand. It's too many. That's a lot of pressure. Driving me away. <laughs> Kevin don't hates Oasis, so of, he's already in Western Washington. I like Oasis, but this is just too much. <laughs> All right, it's let's way keep too much. Let's keep going. All right, Brandon Albert uh, had a good start to his career with a uh, Baltimore. Good is an un- understatement. He was he was an all he was a Pro Bowl caliber. Left tackle, um, really high caliber prospect. Wasn't he one- Kansas City, right? Yeah, when Kansas City became an All Pro. Yes, and then ended up on Miami. Got dealt to um, Jacksonville, where he was allegedly beat by Dante Valor on a play and retired on the spot. Which I think was more just he turned around, saw that he was supposed to block for Blake Bortles, and was like, "Ah, eh, never mind, guys." That's that's what we want to believe. So he was the fifteenth pick in the draft by the Chiefs. He actually was only on the Chiefs. Uh, before being on the Dolphins, and then yeah, he Dante Fowler, Fowler just uh, he took his soul, I guess, and um, now he's trying out with the Giants, trying out with the Seahawks. Um, I'm not sure exactly what he's looking for. Um, if he's looking to be on a winning team, love he, in all the wrong he'll places, pick, he'll pick us. If he's looking for money, neither of these teams have cap room, so I just don't really understand uh, what happened here. Basically, the reason he he retired and then unretired because he wanted to, he didn't want to lose all his money. He would have had to pay back a ton of money to the Jaguars if he if he actually retired. So he didn't go through with it. Yep. And then they were like, eh, stay home anyway. No, they were like, we'll just cut you and you can have the this part of the money. <laughs> we're <Yep>. done. <laughs> um, so yeah, so, it's one of those things. He would be a high upside play. At the very least, he'd be probably a slightly below average left tackle, which is known as a massive upgrade for us. 
So here's the thing. I heard that he came into town. He's still in town. What is holding this up? No, he actually left town without a deal just uh, just yesterday. Just yesterday? Yeah. It had to be late yesterday because this is when I heard it. There's a lot of talk that it was just a move to try and drive down the asking price for the possible trade candidates in uh, Joe Staley, Dwayne Brown, and Cordy Glenn. I mean, he's 32 years old. He's not young. He's He's right in the middle of what... He should be right now, like in the middle to downside of his career. He got much worse, and a he lot should of be at people, the end of his prime. A lot basically. of people think it's because of motivation, right? Like he he's not motivated. He's 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 kind of just lost his competitive fire. Well, that Miami locker room was not exactly a place that was getting people to play their best. Right. Sure, I agree with that. So now we've got. Um, let's go to Dwayne Brown. Uh, Dwayne Brown play, uh, is holding out for the Texans. He wants a big contract. He's in a stage of his career where he can only really get one more big contract, and that seems to be why he's holding out because he wants that big contract now, not later. Another all-pro left tackle. Yeah, he's very talented. Uh, the Texans are doing okay without him, but they could really use him back. Zone-blocking scheme at left tackle. He's yep. uh, used to playing that with the Texans. Um, he's he's not a he's not a like a motivation or injury risk like the other guys. He just is going to want a ton of money. So it's going to be really hard for the Seahawks to make this work with the current cap situation is the thing that I'm I'm thinking about this one. Kevin, do you agree? Uh, I would agree. It would have to be one of those things. Jimmy would probably have to go in the deal. It might cost us Lane as well, and that would be to take him on for this season, and then the deal would have to go up from there. He would want to be a, like a top five paid left tackle in the NFL. Yep. Uh, I don't. I don't see this happening, guys. I don't think that we're ready I think to invest that much either. I don't think I, I it's likely. I would seeing it, but I don't think it's going to happen. It's not likely. Okay. And if it were, why hasn't it happened yet? Yeah. Uh, we are we are three days away from the weekend. I just don't I just don't see it happening. You'd now. expect it to see the deal before the buy. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, the the other two guys uh, I think would be like the least likely guys for us to get. Uh, Joe Staley is just basically off the table. They're not actually going to trade him. It's one of those things where they're like, yeah, we'll do it in the right deal, but that involves like either a first rounder or multiple first rounders, and that's we're not trading a first rounder. No. Uh, and then the uh, the other player is um, Cordy, Cordy Glenn, Glenn with Buffalo. And Cordy Glenn, I think we'd only take him if the price was very low. Um, because and the Bills would also have to pay some of his contract because he has an overpriced contract. He's an injury risk. He's good when he's healthy, though, like very good. But he's actually having a slightly down year. Which is unfortunate for him and unfortunate for the Bills because it would be a good time to unload him. Yeah, but the Bills are three and two. They're in the thick of it because that division is wide open now, um, with the with the kind of like a uh, fall of the Patriots. Well, they're not bad, but they're just you know they're medium. mortal. And uh, yeah, so I just I don't think the Bills are willing to trade him, and if they are, the price would probably be too high once again. Yeah, this offensive tackle fill is a very big challenge. You talked about who we can target in season. In the off season, there's not really anyone going to free agency. I mean, I think Nate Soldier uh, from New England is the best he's tackle, not, and he's, he's having his worst season as a pro. He's getting older. He's not that good. Uh, otherwise, like Jawan James from the Dolphins, and that's about it for free agent tackles. Uh, guards, there's a little bit more. Like There's like John Greco from the Browns, but I'm not sure we're really in the market for a guard that much. Yeah, I just think there's... There's just not a lot of uh, offensive linemen. They get wrapped up. Like people just don't want to lose them. When I so. feel like the Seahawks have made strides in trying to get that outside lineman, the tackles, the guards that can play tackle, but they haven't. The, the deals for them have fallen through, and 
I think at this point we ride with what we have, and that sucks, but it is what we kind of expected this team to do all year. Well, yeah. it's one of those weird things. Going into 2019, legitimately, I think the best free agent uh, offensive lineman for us to pick up is probably Luke Jokel. Yeah, it's it's Luke Jokel. Or it, I mean, the thing is, we don't. A lot of there's a couple good centers. Um, there's a couple good guards, but they're not. Those are positions we don't need. So it's like really hard to justify spending a bunch of money on it. Um, and people who I want to get get going on my soapbox a little bit. You ready for this? People act like the Seahawks have not invested in the offensive line Thank we've you. invested a lot of draft capital in the offensive line multiple first second and third round picks and none of them have really panned out uh, the only one that panned out was uh the we we lost him to denver and then okun russell okun was like the only one who really panned out well and brit kind of brit is okay yeah brit's fine a third round pick shuffling around for a little while and finding a spot to be a solid starting center that's an okay expenditure of capital sure yeah like brit is fine but then there's all these there's just a litany of failed draft picks including a fetty who's a first round pick right and a fetty people so this bad. week were touting his stat like oh he's one of only four tackles who haven't allowed a sack but that's just because the pressure's coming faster from the other side he's allowing he's allowed almost as the most pressures in the whole league. he's the second most pressures out of any offensive tackle in the nfl so, so that that's the other side of that coin is that he's allowing a million pressures. He's just they're not turning into sacks because Russell can see it coming, and also the pressure's coming faster from the other side. Yeah, clearly tackle's still a weakness. It's possible that Fant will be something, but honestly, if this is something we don't address in the draft, I'm going to be really upset. Yeah, because or in we trade, can't like roll if, in if we can get or trade, yeah. If we, I mean, here's the thing about walking away from Jimmy in the middle of the season, it would be tough, especially because it seems like we finally figured out how to use him, which is line him up at wide receiver, stop making him chip in and block and help and do weird stuff that he's not good at. Play to his strengths. He is a big, tall matchup nightmare. So they put him on the outside and they let him be that. And it would be really disappointing to me if we took that what we that momentum kind of that we built with Jimmy and we threw it away. But we need to fix the offensive line. We don't really have a choice. There's a second factor in that too, and that is that if we don't, if uh, we we wouldn't be trading Jimmy in the off season, we'd be letting him walk. Well, we can, and, but there's no one to get in the off season. But if he walks, that's a third round pick, and we have to consider that a third round draft pick is worth something. So right. if we deal him in season, whatever we deal him for. They're getting we have to consider a, our, we're dealing his value plus a third. Our, nah, our compensatory picks based on salary. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's I just want to. Jimmy be clear. is going to get a good contract. There's no doubt. It'll be me. his last good contract. Yeah. Yeah. So um, uh, other Seahawks news this week: Malik McDowell's practicing again, which is good. Well, I, he's doing conditioning. Uh, it means they they probably think that he actually might play in the NFL again. We were all worried that you know this was the end of the road for him. Yeah, Pete Carroll actually confirmed that the injury that is keeping him out is a severe concussion, um, which is bad. But I mean, they made it sound like his face was coming off. Yeah, it sounded like an extreme laceration of his head. Yeah, it sounded like he was going to look like Leatherface or something weird like that. All right, Deshaun Shed and Deion Jordan are returning to practice. Um, Shed cannot return soon enough. Although I do think Justin Coleman has been very good. In the limited time, I would love to see him just moving it, playing only slot snaps. Absolutely. He's fully taken Jeremy Lane's job at this point. Yeah. Jeremy Lane is completely expendable. Jeremy Lane is the guy, if we needed to clear cap to get one of these offensive linemen, that we could actually move. Uh, he makes about $5 million this year. That's $5 million in cap. We have about $3 million other dollars. Teams don't like to go right up against the cap. It, it takes away your flexibility to add players in season if you have injuries. Basically, now you're stuck with the guys on your practice squad. 
So um, I would be surprised if we went right up against it, but it's it's certainly possible. I'd be somewhat surprised if we didn't end up dealing lane once Shed comes back. That seems the... Even if it's just That's for like picks. the rumor around town is that we're shopping lane and that's only a matter of time the before Packers, he's gone. The Packers need a cornerback really bad. Yes, they do. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if we got involved in a deal to move lane to the Packers. And he's a good scheme fit for them. Uh, CJ Procise is back and uh, they say he sound, he looks good to go. Uh, Jokel's likely out this week. Four to six weeks. Yep. I'm at, So basically what happened here is that I think the scope didn't go quite as well as they expected. Uh, there was more things wrong with him than they thought. And now he's going to need a little extra time to recover. Because at first they were saying he might just miss two or three weeks. Now it's four to six. Uh, and that's fine. It sucks because he's basically... He played decently despite the fact that he was playing hurt. He looked better than almost all of our offensive other offensive linemen. Yeah, he was probably our second best offensive lineman behind so, Britt. So when you take that into account, the fact that he was playing a solid, if unspectacular, left guard. You know, he's still giving up pressures. He's still not getting the best run blocks. But he was, you know, he was playing solid. Now we have to go down, and the the word on the street is that this is Ethan Posich. is time to shine. Which I'd much rather see that than the Mark Lewinsky experiment return. Yeah. I think it should be either Roos or, Gl- or Posich, oh, because man. we need to see what somebody else does. And Lewinsky Kevin, had his chance. Kevin, you just you, you said exactly what I was thinking. Why is this not Jordan Roos time? Okay, I we all watched the preseason. We saw Jordan Roos just running people over uh, in aggressive offensive lineman in the mold of some of the most aggressive offensive linemen I've ever seen. Just a, a guy who, if he played a mauler, a road grater, if, if you will, if he played at Ohio state, he would have been a third round draft pick, but instead he played at where did Purdue he, Purdue and Purdue. he on a, on a crappy team and kind of got lost in the shuffle. But once you saw him on the field in the preseason, it was a, uh, it was very awesome. And uh, I, I'm a huge fan. Like I, I really want Roos to get a shot. Now it looks like posters is going to get the first crack at it. And then, I guess Glowinski might get a chance for redemption. Well, well the for... interesting thing is with Posich getting the shot at it, that means Roos is probably not going to be inactive anymore. That means that he might be a uh, dress play on game day. Which is cool. I, I just want to see him get a shot. I think that, that if if we're looking for players that can be above league average that are already on the roster, Roos is one of the few offensive linemen that I'm like, yeah, he has a chance to be a very good NFL offensive lineman, and he's already on our team. Well, and Posich needed to add strength. And he's had a few weeks to do that because I think that was his biggest problem in the preseason. He just didn't look strong enough to anchor. Yeah. So that uh, that's the big news from last week. Uh, is there anything I missed, Eric? <laughs> no, I, I'm with you on the Roost bandwagon. I think Pete Carroll's keeping him out probably because I'm guessing he doesn't understand zone blocking. Not that that is keeping the right side Eddie. of the line you know, free from criticism, but there's got to be a reason to keep him out. Oh, uh, the other thing is on uh, our weekly Avril watch, um, no news, no timetable. Uh, get well soon. We love you. Cliff Avril. Inside here. Go build yeah. some houses. That That's one thing. Wait, that's one way we can get a lot of cap room is if we put Cliff favorite on the like injured retired uh, reserve retired list. I think we would get some cap relief from that. I don't want to recommend that, but that might be something that the Seahawks are looking at because it's going to depend on him a, for sure. There's a good shot that Cliff Averill has played his last NFL football game. So it's too sad. That's um that's just something to keep an eye on, I guess. Uh, I'm a I'm a huge Cliff Cliff fan. Like I've said, he is the premier pass rush specialist. He does all the moves that you want to see. He does he does them all well. He executes. He plays the mind games that you need to play along the defensive line. And you know he he did one thing he did his job you know he did the job of I'm the pass rush king and yeah he did a great job of it so I'll miss him 
for yep. sure. Um, a very uh, not here for a long time, but an easy fan favorite. Yeah. Oh yeah, he was awesome and well deserved. And also, like the Cliff Averill Foundation stuff is just really cool. It is. Um, like it, it, it showed his his quality of character, like the fact that he was just like a really good dude. Also, that whole like, yeah, I'm gonna sign this extension. I know I could have got more money, but it seems like plenty to me. It was like my favorite. That's amazing. It seems just, like just a good human being, right? It's just like, oh, this guy, just he just wants to play football. He's just a cool guy. He loves playing for the Seahawks. He loves being in Seattle. Um, this is the kind of guy that the team, that fans should embrace. Like, you should embrace him current career and post-career if he decides to stick around and not go back to Florida. So, yep, I'm a big uh, big Cliff Averill fan, and uh, get well soon. So, all right, let's go to uh, next week. Let's start looking ahead to the Giants. The Giants coming off a huge Prime time win. <laughs> a, a huge the their Denver, only win. The Denver Broncos. Somehow they have they have come in and they've come in off a win. Uh Eric, did you watch any of this uh the Sunday night game? Oh man, I uh I'm a glutton for punishment. I'll watch the whole thing. Alright, what did you see? Alright, so all preseason where were we, by the way, as as a whole or differentiating on our opinion of where the Giants would finish I believe we were all giving them that fringe playoff I think Nate was lowest with eight wins so s- around middle of the road around nine for Broncos no for no, uh, no for Giants for Giants sounds like eight and eight yeah, yeah. I had okay. my credit eight and eight we all know that their uh their front four are really good their corners decent enough their defense is good Eli Manning is still their quarterback uh some opinions in this room Differ on Eli Manning. <laughs> but I'll just say this. Eli Manning has won two Super Bowls against the hoodie. And the man is still a Manning brother. He only needed two of the luckiest catches of all time to get to get there. <laughs> no matter how we did it, Nathan. He's the dirty diaper of the Manning brothers. Eli Manning is still, uh, you know, probably an NFL Hall of Famer, dare I say. But here it is. We were talking before the podcast. Hey. It's going to happen, Kevin. Only if they do like a Siamese twin bust and Dude, he gets in with know, Peyton. You know he's going in. Anyway, that's a that's an argument for another day. <laughs> I will say this. Before the podcast, we started talking about you know quarterbacks that were you know going downhill or falling off the, the ledge, and Eli Manning's name came up. This game against the Denver Broncos. Denver, really good defense, showed that Eli Manning, one, you know, he's, he's lost a step or three. Also... Uh, Nathan is quick to point out who is he throwing the ball to Odell Beckham Jr. Gone for the year. Sterling Shepard was out. He's questionable for this week against the Seahawks. Brandon Marshall, their free agent acquisition is out for the year with like the same injury that uh, ODB has. Uh, Nathan, how did you describe the uh, Giants offense this week? Uh, Well, they ran that offense through our good friend Orleans Darkwa. Orleans Darkwa is the now number one running back for the Giants. 21 carries for 117 yards for Orleans Darkwa. And a ton of targets as well. Yeah, one got, target. Oh, he's got one. Well, really? Yep. They only threw the ball 17 times. Uh, I thought he had only, like five targets. 19, Sorry. There was 19. only 17 official targets, so yep. Eli Manning threw it away twice. And then 17 official targets here, which is just nuts to Eli me. Manning did his best Blake Bortles impression at quarterback, which meant they were <laughs> expecting Orleans Darkwa to be their corresponding Leonard Fournette. In fact, the only player on their whole team that got more than three targets, Evan Ingram with seven. Evan yeah. Ingram, supremely talented, don't get me wrong, but you can't have that be your only passing threat is a rookie. Like, no matter how good he is, he's a rookie. Over, under on quarters until Camp Chancellor murders him. 
Oh, Evan, if, if they try to do that again, like just only throw to Evan Ingram, he's going to get killed. Evan, Evan Ingram is not a large-bodied tight end, for those of you that don't know. This is one of your plus-sized wide receiver type tight ends. He's like your Jimmy Graham. I mean, he's, he's a tall guy. He's, he's big. He's, he's like 6'3", 240, but I mean, he's not like... So uh, he's about the same size as Cam. He's not stout. Like, In uh, two years, Evan there. Ingram is going to be a stud. But as of right now, he Evan is, Ingram's he's a, a youngin. Evan Ingram's a really talented pass catcher. But this is the type of player that Cam Chancellor has made a career out of just decking. Yeah. Or, as CBS's announcers would say, dicking. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's how we got the listens this week. That's, yeah. that's it. Uh, anyway, yeah, Orleans Darkwall seems to be like how they're running the offense. We're officially operating in the blue. <laughs> we are, we're really good at stopping the run. We Tight ends this year? The aristocrats. <laughs> So, so Eric, you brought that up. Uh, how are we against the run? We're actually 26 against the run, uh, according to DVOA Football Outsiders. Um, I think that that's a, a little bit misleading, though, just because um, we've been in a lot of weirdly close games, so mo- we get rushed against a lot more. And also, I feel like we don't we don't do good against the run in the first half lately. Also, the, in the first half, I feel like we our our, our defense comes out a little asleep. I don't want to like put it. give him a pass on this, but remember that big run that Demarco Murray ran off in that Titans game, oh, yeah, you can't which have... was just a really weird game. Well, but... and Hyde had a big one in the yeah. Frisco game. I, I mean, feel we're... like if you took out those two runs, we would be significantly higher. Our toxic differential is not good though. Like that's that's part of the what I'm trying to say is that like the team is kind of weird stuff. But we are number eight against the tight end in the passing game. So and we're like we're in the top five against running backs in the passing game. Number we're number one. We're number one. Yeah. Um, the other thing is watch out Wayne Gallman. What's <laughs> Paul Perkins? The other thing that's uh, a big problem, or sorry, Shane Vereen. Yeah, they do have Shane Vereen. Don't don't forget, he is a pass catching back that got zero targets in the last game. Wayne Gallman <laughs> got three. That's why I brought up Wayne Gallman. So the other thing is that the Seahawks have had a really poor record in run stuffing. We seem to always allow at least a few yards. The thing to remember about that though is we're looking at. The type of offensive line that we're operating against is the type of offensive line that we haven't seen since the Colts game. So if you want to think about the amount of push you can expect to see them get against our D-line, think about the amount of push that the Colts got. Now replace Jacoby Brissett's mobility with Eli Manning's mobility. Yeah. The, uh, the adjusted that line, is the situation here. The adjusted line yards for the, for the uh, New, New York, York Giants. football Giants this year is 3.86 so far this year. And you probably think, oh, that, that sounds okay. 3.86 adjusted line yards. That's not too bad. Seahawks are 27th at 3.6. So however bad you think our rush game has looked, and it hasn't looked good, you should probably feel very similarly about the New York Giants. I was yep, going to say. They are dead last in power run percentage. Is it is it fair to say that percentage. our offensive line is a smidge better than New York's? It's, I would say that ours is like, well. It's close. Don't, with, don't, don't, with go, Jogel, don't go too good. Ours was better. Okay. I think it's close. I think, they're, I think they're very even. Meh. We don't know. Um, you one, know, like when one, you go to the dump and you like you look drop out off that old couch, and there's like the the pool of rancid water. You know, are you really going to dredge the pool to figure out what's at the bottom of the pool, or is it all just kind of in the pool? Here's the biggest difference between our run offense and their run offense is we're second in the league. Twenty nine percent of our run plays get stuffed, and only twenty one percent of their run plays get stuffed. And getting stuffed is like the worst result you can have. Yep. So it's it's why I think that theirs might be slightly better than ours. Um, that being said, they're still pretty horrible. And another thing that's weird is that they don't have like a really really like good area to run to. Like they're pretty decent running off right end, but just like us, 
they're pretty bad across the whole line in terms of where to run. So they don't have like a, oh, hey, let's run off this area. There's not a place where they can say, yes, we're getting four yards. They don't have that. Yeah, just like us. Like we have no way to just like guarantee. Oh, we're going to. We get three yards yards up the gut. That's the only thing that we can guarantee. But it's still like we're, in terms of like where we rank in the league, we're like 14th. 14th, It's not good. Uh, So yeah, I'm. I'm a. I think this is a good matchup for us. At the end of the day, uh, their their defense is uh, is not great. It's just pretty. It's just okay. And our offense is uh, is good. Is going to be good enough. No, no. Wait a second, Nathan. Their front four against our offensive line. Let's let's talk about that. Because you said that their defense is, well, you, at, you know, just there, okay. So there's a thing. Every week we make one of the opposing players look like a, an MVP candidate. We make one opposing player look amazing. This year, we might make a three-fifths of one look like an amazing. So, yeah, I would say that there's a good chance that Jason Pierre-Paul is going to to look really good in this game. But I wouldn't put it past Olivier Vernon to be that guy, to be honest Absolutely with you. not. Because Olivier Vernon is actually a pretty good football player. And if we focus in on trying to stop Jason Pierre-Paul, Vernon on the other side could tear us apart. And it's not like Vernon is great. Uh, he's he's not he's he's okay, uh, but he's good enough. He's as good as some of the guys that have torn us up this season. So I would look watch out for pressures for sure. There's yeah, we got be... murdered by Jabal Sheard. So, and their linebackers are their weak point. So I'm hoping we can get create some matchup problems, uh, get guys uh, on to their linebackers like Jimmy or Jake uh, McKissick, JD McKissick, or guys that just create matchup problems. Um, that is one thing, Kevin, earlier you mentioned that ProSize is coming back, and I would prefer if they did not rush him back just because I think McKissick is fine in that role. He's good enough to beat the Giants at least. I think both of them definitely could have a big day. There's another thing that I'd like to bring up that I think is interesting. We have this weird split. We talked about our team sucks when it comes to run stuffs. We are the second worst team when it comes to getting stuffed in the run. We are somehow also the second most efficient power running team. I think something that you could see getting a lot of yards is some combination of Rawls and Lacey barreling over the right side because those linebackers are not especially good. And Olivier Vernon, the thing about Olivier Vernon is that he is not a big-bodied defensive end. He doesn't hold up especially well in the run game. If we run at them to the right side, they are one of, we are not very good at running at like stretch runs. But they are the worst, one of the worst teams. I think they're 29th in the league at defending stretch runs to the left and right. So I think that some of those outside runs for McKissick, I think some end arounds for Lockett, like we've been trying and, recently. And, 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 and speaking of Lockett, watch out for him just in the pass game in general versus slot receivers. The Giants are are uh, are are just okay, and versus number two receivers are actually really bad. So look out for like guys, uh, other wide receivers having good I like Jimmy Graham too I like Lockett getting his his strength back a little more too he's had you know a whole week off he was getting faster every game I like that uh the thing I was going to say earlier about the Giants linebackers they're side to side uh their lateral movements across the field are really slow if if you run it right up up the gut against them you know or they decide to blitz or run blitz with the linebackers that's where they have success but other than that yeah they're bad they uh they struggle when the when you need to think on when you need to like quickly change the pl- what you're doing to react to a play. 
they're not good at that. If we run really straightforward run plays, I think they'll be fine. Actually, yeah, they just they'll do their jobs. But if we run some some com- some uh, some counters or some read option, that's read where option could be the death of them in yeah, this game. Read option could be really good because if you get those linebackers moving the wrong direction, Eric's right. They're gonna have tr- they're gonna struggle to catch up. Which Russ traditionally has had very good games against the Giants, and the Giants scheme really hasn't changed very much over the last half decade. Yeah, but their quarter, their coach does have the worst mustache in NFL history. Do not forget. What do you think about that coach? Can we do ten minutes on Ben McAdoo's mustache and haircut combo? His, no, honestly, that's it's, it. A, it talks about itself. Wait, wait, it's so wait, bad. Can I? No, no, don't. Not this one, Kevin. I'd not like this to one, give you this one. I'd like to give you a review of Ben McAdoo's uh, hair. Um, it's best described as exotic Smash Mouth. Uh, I would describe it as um, guy who never gave up on the bowl cut. Stop. No, nope, please don't. Don't don't do it. You were, we already tried to drive everyone away. Now you're now you're trying to drive away the people that actually like the show. Mouth sounds. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, it looks like a little kid bowl cut. Like it's, you, it's horrible. It looks like a little kid bowl cut mixed with a seventies California Highway Patrol chips mustache. I'll give you that, Kevin. All joking aside, are you are you guys are you of the of the faith that McAdoo is a decent coach? No. No. I agree. I, I feel like he's in over his head a little bit. Also, let me jump in here. I think the Seahawks are actually a, a, a average or above average football team, and the Giants are not. The Giants are really not. And, uh, yeah, they beat Denver last week, but Denver's 20th in DVOA, and their offense was, was poised to have a, to lay an egg eventually. They have no quarterbacks, and their special teams are horrible. They also threw the ball fifty times. Yeah, with their horrible. Why were they? They could have run the ball twice as much, thrown the ball twenty-two times, and probably eked out a win by six points. It's one of those situations where Denver should have leaned on their defense, and they chose not to uh, for no reason. Uh, yeah, that was bad coaching. All right, let's do it. Let's do it early, uh, Kevin. What's your pick for this game? I think it's gonna be one of those ones where it's close to begin with, and we're all a little bit antsy about it. But eventually, Seattle's going to score enough to pull away, and it's going to be like twenty-four ten Seattle. Okay, but it's going to be like ten seven or seven ten at the half. All right, uh, Eric, I'm going full confidence for this game. Screw your five and a half point favorite. I like the Seahawks to win thirty-one to ten. All right, I think that the Seahawks. Uh, our de- this is the one where the defense really shows, like, hey, this is the reason we're uh, we're number one. Like, this is the reason that we are the the best defense in the league, or we should be considered the best defense in the league. I don't feel like they've had they've had good games. They've had games where I thought for a half they were perfect. But I just think this is the game where they finally just just really go for it. Sheldon so. Richardson remembers he's the king of New York. Yeah. So I'm gonna pick the Seahawks to win. 21 to 0. I think I don't Whoa. think I don't think the Giants will score. I really don't like their offense at all. Their offensive line sucks. They don't have any running backs. They, they if you if you run Orleans Darkwell against the Seahawks 21 times, that's going to end up with 50 yards. Like that will be a disaster yep. for them. Uh they'll have to try to throw and uh well, we um if you can name three Giants wide receivers without looking ahead of time, uh, let me that know. Are currently I'll playing. You, I'll send you a sticker. All right. So, so, <laughs> so uh, that's that's where I'm at on that. Ah, uh, yeah. All right, uh, Kevin. I know you prepared a little bit of like a draft mini draft preview, uh, and I kind of wanted to just give you like a like a five minute platform here to just tell us like 
you you like you love to look ahead at the draft. You love college football. We all watch college football. It was a depressing uh, college football weekend. It's a for rough the, weekend for, for Washington. the Nor- for the Northwest last weekend as the the Huskies just couldn't get going against Arizona State and the Cougars got blown out in the smoke filled uh, California game. So it was really bad uh, for Washington for college football. But honestly, it was a very fun college football weekend. There was lots of fun games. I watched college football almost the whole day uh, lots of overtime um, games yeah, games that came down to the fourth quarter lots upsets. of upsets you know so it was just a fun it was kind of a fun college football weekend kevin you you know these guys better than most uh, who are a few guys that you're looking at now that you would love to see in a seahawks uniform you know i think you're gonna have a little bit of fun with this a team that in the on the west coast we get to see towards the end of the season because they always play usc and they always play stanford we get to see notre dame Notre Dame has two offensive linemen that both play on the left side. I want you to keep an eye on. So left tackle Mike McGlinchey is like a really NFL-ready prospect. If you look at Garrett Bowles, who came out and is playing for the Broncos and having a decent beginning of his year, if you want the same player, only younger and more polished, you're looking at Mike McGlinchey. He's a really interesting fit at tackle. They also have at guard Quentin Nelson, who I think is a guard that's worthy of a first-round pick. A lot of people are predicting him to be like a late first-rounder, correct? Uh, A lot of people are saying late first, early second. It really depends on where other positions fall, because guard is one of those ones that can just get pushed out of the first round of the draft sometimes. Is McGlinchey someone who actually has the possibility to fall to late first round, or is he slight? Maybe we'd have to trade up to get him. Uh, I think that this could end up being similar to last year's draft where the first offensive tackle doesn't come off the board until somewhere around the late teens so it really depends on how combine numbers shake out right and then the uh, desperation kind of thing where if a team's really desperate for a tackle he's like the one of the best ones or the best yeah one. yeah and it's also i think there's a lot of uncertainty and there's some pretty obvious flaws with most of them the thing that i like about mcglinchy is that he doesn't have any glaring weaknesses you know sometimes he gets beaten by speed off the edge like what happened with bellamy at georgia in the um in the Notre Dame's loss to Georgia on the strip sack at the end, but otherwise he's just he's a really solid player. Okay, if we're, if we're gonna talk tackles, can we talk about the local guy, uh, Trey Adams? We can't talk about Trey Adams because he just went down for the rest of the season, so he'll almost undoubtedly be back oh. for next year. Same with Connor. Uh, was it Connor Williams? Connor Williams from Texas. From yeah. Texas went down with an injury. There's a good chance that he comes back. If Trey Adams and Connor Williams come out. Either one of them, due to injury, could slip to the end of the first round and would be a steal because they might be a top 12 talent. But if they both go back to school, then this is a pretty thin tackle class. Um, There's a guy in Mississippi State, but I don't trust him. Orlando Brown is a huge, like, mountain of a man out of Oklahoma, but he has that, like, Russell Okun dumb penalty syndrome, and he might be more of a right tackle than a left tackle. I really like Mitch Hyatt out of Clemson. But he's someone who needs to add some strength. But that being said, he kind of reminds me of Luke Jokel, where he doesn't have the most strength, but he always seems to know his assignment and do the right thing. And he's isn't a guy he like, who might be like a second or third round pick. I was going to say, isn't he super small, too? Is like, isn't he under 300 pounds? He's a hair under 300, but in his own blocking scheme, that's not super uncommon. And he's about 6'5". He has a frame that you could add a little bit of weight to. And this is a guy who's holding up against, you know, Miami's defensive or uh, Alabama's defensive line last year, who's holding up against people that were drafted out of Florida State on a yearly basis. So this is a guy who's been tested. So he can hold up, but he would be looking to add strength in the NFL. Right. So there's a few tackle prospects. Yeah. Any um, other positions that you, uh, you're you getting? Uh, oh, I wanted to say one person that I think you would like me to mention. Oh, go ahead. And that is 
a guard who some people think might be able to play right tackle, and that's the local kid, Cody O'Connell, oh, of yeah. Washington State. He's really big. He's six foot nine. <laughs> he's three hundred and fifty pounds. He is enormous. He's another guy who can just push everyone around. He would be a really interesting yeah, he's possible have, right tackle, possible right guard. He's gonna have leverage issues at the next level though, just because he's so tall. Yeah, like that's that's the kind of thing where like you just never know how it's gonna work out. He's gonna fall in the draft just because it's such a wild card. Uh, it could really work, and it could also be a total disaster. That's a fact. I think defensive end is really interesting this year because edge rusher was loaded last year, and really the last couple years it's been a pretty good edge rusher class. This one, I think there's some players that are really interesting. Sam Hubbard out of Ohio State. Uh, Bradley Chubb out of NC State is amazing. I really like Bradley Chubb a lot. And a guy I think you should keep an eye on is Austin Bryant, who plays for Clemson. Body-wise, he's very similar to, like, Cliff Averill. He lost eight games of his ju- of his sophomore year, so t- 2016. Um, but he's come back, and he's had a pretty good start to this year. He's a guy who will come out and might go in a slightly later round than he otherwise would. And as a team like Seattle that might not want to spend a first-round pick on an edge rusher but could be looking to add some depth, he'd be a really interesting guy. Um, running back is going to be really deep again this year. If you're looking – last year I was really high on Kareem Hunt – if you're looking for another one of those guys who maybe comes from a medium-sized school or isn't getting as much hype, there's going to be a lot of those players in this draft. Bryce Love. I love Bryce Love. Bryce so Love much. is a really good player. I also <laughs> like Webb out of Vanderbilt. Yeah. Okay. Uh, his stats don't look as impressive because he plays for Vanderbilt. But yeah, he's averaging, he's like, really he's averaging like less than three yards a carry, but he's... He goes he's, against SEC defenses behind Vanderbilt's offensive line. Like, that's exactly chill, it. Chill out a little bit. He's still good. And then the other thing is if we end up deciding to draft a replacement in the like the third, second or third round for, um, for Jimmy Graham, I think Mark Andrews out of Oklahoma or Mike Jasicki out of Penn State could be really interesting tight ends. But I think Nick Vanette's probably our tight end. Yeah, of the I was going to say that's I what think, we spent that I on. I think the uh, the the team thinks Vanette is the tight end of the future. But Ethan Wolf out of Tennessee is a blocking tight end that could, could be going late. And I would like to see us try and pick up a blocking tight end. I think that's something that would complement us. And we keep running Matt Tobin out there. I think if we had a genuine tight end that could hold down that role, I think that would be a better use of a roster spot. All right. Um, we don't really need linebackers. Uh, we seem to have decided to get our, our new cornerback in Shaq Griffin. We're pretty deep at safety. Kevin, you know what I'm going to ask you. Kevin, are there any really sweet college kickers this year? <laughs> <laughs> you would. That's always a good question. Um, uh, you want to you hear something really funny? What? This is a really good punting. Oh, well, we have a good punter. I know we have a good punter. But I just, I just wanted you to hear the fact that this is considered to be an above-average punting class. Um, for a kicker, there's not a lot out there, but you usually don't hear about a lot of them until you get to kind of... Um, combine stage where they're... Combine getting... stage where you start having a few more things to weigh. Because, I mean, I could give you... Uh, Notre Dame's say, kicker's good, right? Justin Yoon? Uh, Notre Dame's kicker gets some hype. Uh, there's a couple in the SEC. I think Florida... Florida and Auburn, yeah, I think they're supposed to have good kickers. But I believe that Florida's kicker hasn't done that well this year. He's so, only kicked four times, I think, or five times. Yeah, it's one of those, uh, <laughs> let's see, there's another Aguayo. No. Yep, no. that's a thing. Uh, is it, and then, are they related? But Roberto related? is so good. They are related. Do they, they both, both have that Florida weird, State do they both have that weird hitch jump that's going to ruin their NFL checked. careers? The other thing is, 
usually if you're looking for kickers, there's usually a couple of small school kickers that are really good, and you'll never hear about them until it hits combine, and they're like, oh yeah, this person will probably be a UDFA. So it's always hard to scout the kicker. Um, if I want to say who my favorite one, it's probably uh, uh, Badgley out of Miami, because okay. he's made some good kicks under pressure, and that's really the only thing you can evaluate in college. It's tough. It's it's uh it's a weird it's a weird thing. I don't know enough about kicking to get great evaluation of kickers. Well, and I just, Kevin, wanted, to, I just wanted to know if there was like a hyped guy like Aguayo. No. The answer is no. Since Nathan brought it up, I will say that we did find out because of uh, Aguayo getting cut that apparently there's not like a book on kicking. A lot of these guys have bad form. So and, and the scout like that yeah there was an article yeah. about like a scout just breaking down Aguayo's kicking and he's like I'm a kicking scout I'm the best kicking scout in the NFL and this is why he failed. And it was really interesting. Like it was a really interesting read because he's like, yeah, not every team has a kicks kicking kicker scout. And so like, and he's he basically was saying, I'm out here, fam. You can hire me. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it sounds like the the mystery is still out there regarding a kicker. Well, one of the everyone. other things, uh, this is something that was mentioned by a couple of head coaches in an interview we were going through, and they were talking about how your special teams coordinator or your special teams coach is usually like basically a offensive coordinator in training. Correct. Or, or so, some kind of other, he's training for another job. Exactly. And so very, very rarely do you have one that's like actually kicked. And so for most kickers, you never really get coached on kicking. And so that's, again, like you guys said, those bad habits form and no one ever really corrects it. And that's why kicking is so weird. It's such a fungible position in the NFL like, we picked up Blair Walsh off the scrap heap this year for peanuts, and he's giving us basically about as much production as we could have expected from Hauschka for $3 million. Yeah. Right. Like, how much better is Hauschka than, than Blair Walsh? He's better. Let's just, let's mince words. But he's getting paid, like, four times as much, five times as much. And um, Blair Walsh so far this year has missed one kick, right? And one extra point. Yep. And one extra point. Like, that's totally fine. Hauschka so far this year... Let's look up his stats really quick. Hauschka has missed, um, he's missed two kicks. No, wait, I can't, this is so hard to look at. He's missed one kick, uh, and he's missed uh, no extra points. So we're basically, we've missed out on one point by not having Steve Hauschka. And we're getting, paying a guy way, way low, way, 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 way we're playing. We're paying a guy almost one-fifth of that amount. Yeah, so that's, that's, the, that's the thing, is that, yeah, like, why not just have, like, look at Harrison Butker, what he's doing in Kansas City. Harrison Butker, they just signed him off of Carolina's practice squad. They're like, yeah, sure, and now he's awesome. So you just, uh, Jake Elliott in Philadelphia. You can just um, find good kickers. Jake Elliott made a six, like, game-winning sixty-plus yard field goal. Like the guy's sweet. He got a game check from Carson Wentz. Yeah, but Carson Wentz's game check sucked because he saw a rookie pay scale. You know, you're <laughs> talking about a grand. kicker in the NFL. He's not going to turn that down. Yeah, he's not. He, gonna... he might have gone out and bought a Prius with that. He's, who's going to say no to like thirty thousand dollars? But still, it, it it sounded more impressive than it actually was. Also, Jake Elliott is like five six, one hundred and sixty pounds. Well, Kevin, so I really, a I really want to picture him going out and buying a Prius off the lot. No, he went. He check. went and bought an H two Hummer. He was like, he's <laughs> no, like, he I'm, I'm five nine. I need a Hummer. He kicked for Memphis. I love that dude. All right, put so, some uh, yellow pages on the seat and went crazy. <laughs> All right, so let's uh, we're gonna go ahead and move on from that. Uh, let's go to the money zone. The money zone is how you can give us money. First of all, we want to thank our current Patreon, uh, one of which who upped his ante. He went up from a dollar to four dollars. That's how how uh, passionate Woo! he felt about the Seahawks Nest podcast. If you want to support, just like our other uh, fans, you can go to patreon.com/seahawksnest. 
that is where you can just give us money. But there's lots of other ways to support Hold us, Hold it, too. Nate. What? Oh, there's... Hold it. Do you want, do you want to see I what want, they get? I want to be able to introduce us obnoxiously and repeatedly as the award-winning oh. Seahawks Nest podcast. Oh, okay. That's fine. So what I need you to do is you can pause this podcast right now, and you can go to the Best of Western Washington page for King 5 News. I think the best way to do that is to go to Google and type in uh, King 5 News, Best of Western Washington, and then go to the Arts and Entertainment podcast page, and you can vote for us. 12 12 days left to vote, Uh, so you'll only get bothered about this one more time. My favorite thing about this is everyone else, it looks like they, uh, they have professional things on their podcast page and us it's just a link to ourselves. I think it's so funny. It's just you know what? The penitent man will pass. It's the it's a, we are the humble podcast. Dude, we shall it's win. A grassroots even, movement. Even friends. the crusty mustard cap show has has a has a picture on here. And they're literally called the Okay, I'm not even gonna keep going. You already <laughs> know. You. They're called the Crusty Mustard Cap show. Alright. So yeah. Alright. Anyway, now welcome back. Now that you paused it and went and voted, welcome back. Nathan, please continue the money zone. Yeah, I actually voted for... I mean, Let me say, though, I did vote for four categories in here. Oh, yeah. Also, vote for all the food stuff. You listen to our podcast. You're fat in spirit with us. No. Vote for proletariat pizza. Here's, vote for, you know, vote for all these local establishments. There's some great food trucks. Send us a direct message on either Facebook or Twitter. If you need recommendations of what food places to vote for, one, we'll help you there. One other thing, too, is is if you want to... Uh, Tweet us, won't you? If you want to tell us who, who to vote for, like if you're in here somewhere, please tell us. I will yeah, tell you this. Too. I very quickly went over and voted for my favorite professional athlete. My choices were Adam Big Hill, Earl Thomas, Nelson Cruz, Cam Chancellor, Russell Wilson, Stephen Fry, or Shane Strickland. Defy championships, world championships. So, of course, I voted for Shane Strickland because if you guys don't, don't know, I'm really into professional wrestling and... He's like the local, the local scene's best professional wrestler. So Shane Strickland, really cool guy. I th- highly recommend voting for him because he's probably the only person of these pro athletes that would actually care. It's too bad Classic Chun <laughs> isn't on there. If Classic Chun was on there, I'd vote for Classic Chun. No, you should vote for Shane. Shane. Whose house? Swerve's house. All right. So um, <laughs> other ways you can support us, though. You can go to Facebook.com slash The Seahawks Nest. You can go to Twitter.com slash Seahawks Nest. You can go to SoundCloud dot com slash seahawks nest and all those places throw us a follow throw us a like go to itunes give us a review only five star reviews please uh let's see if anyone has broken my my request let's see if anyone had the guts to give us less than a five star review um looks like the answer to that is of course no five nine ratings five out of five stars on all of them that's because you guys are the best and i much love fam and uh, we love you. And uh, I tried to drive away all the the, 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 the non-fans with my bad intro. So thank you guys for st- <laughs> for sticking with it. Um, Good cover, Nate. Because the last the last the last episode. Well, usually I do like a like a classic action movie reference, right, Kevin? I'll say like you're the Hans Gruber to well, my. You did that one McClane. week. You you were all over the place. <laughs> you're my, every you're, week. You're, you're my, all over the map. You're it's my, just fine. You're my yellow Power Ranger to my black Power Ranger. <laughs> I don't think you've done that one. You're my Jerome Payton to my <laughs> no, to no. my Aaron Brooks. No, not not Jerome Payton to my Aaron Brooks, Kevin. You're my Jerome Payton to my Billy Joe Hobart. <laughs> okay, that was a better time for both. All right, so uh, Jerome Payton. That's a name I have not heard in a very long time. All right, from the Saints Nest. Let's go to the let's go to the movies. Uh, we're going to talk about. We've been talking horror all month, and I thought it'd be cool if we went a little old school, we went a little classic horror, Kevin. It's all. Because I think that you'll like it better if we get out of the current movies every once in a while. And so... Poor uh, Kevin. An old movie. An old movie that I think is really awesome. And that I think that 
I went back and I watched it again like less than a year ago. So I kind of have fresh eyes on it. And that is The Shining. Um, I didn't I didn't have the childhood experience that everyone else had. I watched this for the first time in college. I think I was like 20 or 22 years old, so way after the fact. So I want you guys to talk first because you guys probably saw it earlier on in life than I did. Um, was that scene where the blood came out of the elevator? As It was terrifying to me when I, I was like, dang, this is crazy. I can't imagine seeing that when I was like 10. Was that like – That's one of two scenes that I distinctly remember as a kid and an adult finding incredibly freaky both times that and of course the woman in the hotel room yeah yeah those those are both scenes that because they have the effect of a jump scare except they're not a jump scare and they're like you know they're coming and it just gets you i will say this i saw this movie when i was a kid and that yeah that freaked me out nathan but I didn't get the movie so much. And there's so much it was build it up. Was it because Scatman Crothers was in it? Yes. The, the voice of jazz <laughs> on Transformers. Uh, no joke. Uh, I think it's really interesting that this film builds up so much. There's so much story. There's so much unsettling music and, and scenes and vibes in this movie. But as a kid, I didn't really get it. And I remember kind of being bored. And at the end, I was like, oh, it's cold in there in a maze. Dude, Joe Turkle as like the... The like Lloyd, the like bartender guy. Yes, like that guy is freaky, man. And like he, that, those scenes with him are so are so interesting, especially once you go back and watch it afterwards, knowing that like like the extent of what is what happened afterwards, you know. And like I don't know, it's just like those scenes are really really interesting to go back and watch again. Plus, Kubrick's just like a master. Like, there's so many things that are incredibly well done about this movie, like the set design and like the the way that the scenes are framed and filmed. So Nathan, you know this. My brother, uh, my brother Todd is a, a horror aficionado, mm-hmm. a huge fan of many of the movies, and so from a young age, I had exposure to a lot of different horror franchises. And I started off with, you know, a lot of the ones that you're used to seeing, uh, you know, Halloween. Child's Play, some of those kind of cheesier ones, Gremlins, Friday the 13th. when you're younger, and then moving into the slasher flicks with Halloween, Friday the Thirteenth, and so I kind of had like a solid evolution of horror movies. I saw The Shining for the first time when I was like an early teenager, probably I was like in middle school. So not super young, but younger. And I had a little bit of a buildup of horror movies, which I think helped me a little bit. I was able to leverage that into appreciating the movie a bit more. But it wasn't until I went back and watched it again, like probably in my late teens or early 20s, that I really picked up on exactly what you're talking about. I knew when I was younger that the ambiance was excellent. But, like, when I was a little older, I was more able to appreciate, like, all the shots that show the isolation of the hotel. And all of the scenes where they'll show, like, those... They'll do those quick scenes where they're moving from one place to another. So, like, they're showing, like, Shelley Duvall's character doing something normal. Uh And then they want to show you, like, Jack having a mental breakdown in the bar... And no work, no work, and all play or all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Yeah, like, and stuff like before that. Before they do that, though, they'll show like, okay, now we're going to show like a scene of the lobby and a scene of this and a scene of this, and it just like translates like they're in this humongous, cavernous like castle of yeah. a building that it's no wonder that you know 
Oh. It's no wonder that Danny could be rolling around on his tricycle and see exactly, something that freaks you the hell out. That's exactly what I was talking about. Is that those scenes where uh, where he's click, rolling click, through the click click. He's got and so first of all, this is one of the first movies that use Steadicam and the Steadicam shots where they're behind him and he's riding the big wheel and then when he hits carpet, like it's completely dead silent, like freaky silent. And then when it hits the wood floor, the music is just like yes. insanely yeah. loud and it like it makes you feel so tense about what's happening. And then it rolls around and then you get things like you know he rolls up on the twins. Uh huh. And you're just you are so unnerved by the sound yeah, but and the why, shot. Why are you unnerved? It's because, because the you're setup. Pretty unnerved. Yeah, but also so good. Also, it's, it's because it's hold on, it's being spun by a master, right? Yeah, absolutely. But it's a kid who doesn't really probably because he's a kid doesn't realize that he's supposed to be all alone in this hotel, right? He's like, oh hey, you're here too. I thought we were alone. Whereas an adult would be like, yeah, this is a little unsettling. The kid's just like, oh, hey, it's two other kids. And they look different than me because they're wearing old clothes. But, yeah, it's once you get older, you start looking at the scenes as like, that's really messed up. And, like, gets under your skin creepy. Like all those shots you said, Kevin, the, the, the isolation shots. As a kid, I was like, oh, it looks cold. <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. I, didn't, I didn't get it. But yeah. as an adult, you're just like, oh. The setup is beautiful. Yes. And uh, the extent of... And by the way, Scatman Crothers, great cast. Yeah, he really is. Fact. Mm-hmm. That was a really yeah, good Scatman Scat Man Crothers is awesome in this movie. But seeing uh, Shelley Duvall kind of, uh, you know, drive... Help drive Jack Nicholson's character, uh, Jack Torrance, uh, drive him over the edge. Like, she's just being herself, but the way he's losing it and then he can't stand listening to her... Um, it's really, it's really a well play by uh, Shelley Duvall. Yeah, and you know we have to go ahead and bring Shelley it up. Duvall. Do I have that right? Yeah, is it and the right Shelley Duvall Shelley? was treated very poorly on the. Uh, there's a That's lot of stories about this. Yeah, about uh, scenes that were shot um, in ways where she was not prepared for it. Uh, there were a lot of things that, you know, this is especially from an age of Hollywood where uh, actors were treated as indentured servants, and so. You have a situation here where, for as horrible of a thing as it is, it's also very interesting because there are moments that were genuinely terrifying for her, and it translates. Yeah, there's not Absolutely a there good. is not a scene in this movie that falls flat. Everything is set up in this movie so that you really feel the emotions of the character, even down to Jack, when Jack is falling apart and you really feel that falling apart he's slowly losing his mind and also like he's got he's like making a choice like he has to decide like like he's it's it's like you get to look right into the dark side of someone right like the the absolute like insanity of of someone which is kind of crazy and yeah i don't know he's he's like he at the end of the movie like he's part of the hotel right he's in the picture now he's like one of the ghosts like yep. w- along with all the other people that he had been talking to, which is kind of another weird, weird uh, like thing to think about for the movie. Yeah, the hotel collected him. Yeah, it's super, super strange. Well, and then the maze and running through the hedge maze and everything. The the movie just does a great job, and the book did a great job of this too. But the movie does a great job of being deeply unsettling in every spot that it could be. Yeah. Um, what about like the actual the the shining ability? in the movie like that Danny has uh, uh, I'll say that they kind of gloss over it in the movie uh, the book says a lot more 
uh, in the movie, it's how would you say it's used, Kevin? It's like a, it's not quite a throwaway, but it's more like it explains a scene, a scene and a half. So I want to go with, and I know that it's Nate, used as you've, like, re- you've read a little bit of Stephen King, Eric. I think you've read uh-huh. a little bit yeah. more. You've um, read a lot. Though. I've read quite a bit. I, I really enjoy him as an author. Uh, Stephen King's strength as an author is that he puts you inside you inside the character's head. Movies can't do that very well for as much as this one does. The The Shining is a very internal thing for Danny in the book. And so it would have been really hard to do it without being super ham-fisted about it. So I, I understand why they did that. But yes, it's basically used to go, hey, here's why he and Scatman Crothers immediately connect. Yeah. And here's why that scene is able to happen at the end. Yes. It, yeah. To bring, and then exactly. otherwise, <laughs> it's basically like, it's also why Danny's kind of freaky in the first 15 minutes of the movie with the whole red rum thing that everyone remembers. Yeah. It's, well, it kind of uses Danny as a vessel. Yeah. To, to convey the, the evilness of the hotel. And then it, like you said, it explains the whole Scatman Carruthers like and showing And so basically it pops end. in about four or five times during the movie to explain like a couple little things that are going on. But yes, it's very much like a throwaway. All right. Um, if you had, and then we'll close. Well, I, I think that's about all we have to say about The Shining. If you Can have I ask a, one question of the group? Yeah, go for it. Have you guys seen the documentary about it? The Room 237? Yes. No. I have not seen it. Kevin, is it good? Without it's, going it was too a really much into interesting it. watch. Okay. Would you recommend it to uh, to the listeners? If you are the kind of person that likes a documentary of that nature, yes. Is it informative or does it... It is informative. It's got some kind of behind-the-scenes type stuff, but it's not like... Does it run with theories that you don't agree with? I'm trying to remember because I saw okay. it right after it came out. So that's really the only reason why I didn't see it right away. I was like, I don't know. I don't want to be like pushed in any direction. I'd and also, you, just... don't wanna, you don't want to become like conspiracy theory, man. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is, have you ever have, have everyone here seen the movie trailer remix where they make it sound like a feel good movie? No, because that not. is the best movie trailer remix I've ever seen. So if you ever want to do that, I, um, if you ever want to do, uh, type in to YouTube movie trailer remix The Shining, and uh, they pitch it as a feel good movie called Shining. It's very well done. Just gonna put that out uh, there too. We will watch that, and don't watch the remake. Yeah, I heard that. I heard it was closer to the book and not as good. The remake... Never yes. saw it. Okay. The remake was more loyal to the book and lacked everything like that made the said, movie great. Like you said, they would make... They would introduce the Shining. It would be totally ham-fisted, you said. And uh, is that what they did? No, I just felt like uh, the cinematography was just... I mean, you're talking about going from Kubrick to not Kubrick. <laughs> and so the cinematography, the shots, the angles, the ambiance... The sound mixing, it just wasn't there. It was more like made-for-TV Shining. Nathan. Yeah. Go on. Go ahead. No, I just wanted to say, is there any um, movies that you guys think, like um, modern movies that or current movies or movies you think people haven't seen that captured kind of a, a similar ambiance spirit? Because the, what this movie is really about is that it puts you in it, right? Like, you're in... The, you're in the movie like you're so in engaged in what's happening are there any other movies you'd recommend to people who like the shining i'm trying to think of any horror movie or spooky movie that is really unsettling and i'm sure there's a few the fog as a classic the old fog i feel like is a movie that really sets you up does that unsettle you though because i i'm into that movie i'm like ooh yeah i think it does a good job of building up it's a different kind of movie uh Let's see, movies that are deeply unsettling. 
Okay, I got mine. Ready? Okay. Yeah. So movies that put you in an environment, that movies that kind of unsettle you, have really weird imagery. Mine is The Witch. Um, and the, it's part, of, and I know that things like that's not a one-to-one comparison because this movie's obviously in like oldie English, and you could call it like the Vavitch if you wanted. <laughs> yes, uh, because that is how they have decided to stylize it on Netflix and such. But that movie moves pretty slow, kind of like The Shining, and it has a lot of deeply unsettling things that happen in the movie. Yes. Um, I really enjoy The Witch. I think it's a really cool movie. Um, uh, the the female lead of the movie is now like one of our like great young uh, actresses, and so it's really cool to see her like coming into her own in the film and i think it's like a, just a really interesting watch um it's not for everyone if i definitely think there's some people that are going to listen to this they're going to watch the witch and they're going to go man that guy's an idiot the witch sucked but <laughs> if you're one of the people that liked it this was for you because i i thought it was a really cool movie i agree nathan the the, the vivich is this group calls it uh that it is unsettling and it's it's a piece of film like they set you up they're trying to show you this world that you are not in and they're trying to get you to understand the characterization of the people, not the characters so much. There's only a few characters that, that they have to explain, and they don't even really explain the main character so yeah. well. And they don't explain like the main, the like the Black Phillip thing. Like, I'm, I'm, that's not really a big spoiler, but like, it's like they they kind of like leave you hanging on that for a long time. Like, you don't yeah. realize like what's going on, and then all of a sudden it kind of all becomes clear, and it's like, whoa, this is crazy. You know what? I'll go. I'll go one. Go ahead. And a lot of people haven't seen this. Antichrist. I've never seen it. Is it? What's it's, it? I've not seen that. Here's one. a problem. First of all, it's a Lars von Trier film, which, if you are looking for the most destitute, unfeel good movies of all time, watch a Lars von Trier movie. I can't. I can't say one movie I walked away being like, man, that was awesome. Uh, none of his films are exciting. They're always just like this bleak. It's like a snapshot of hopelessness. It's. All his films are unsettling. This has a uh, Willem Dafoe, and uh, I can't remember the uh, his counterparts. Uh, what what that that actress's name? And it also features a talking fox. And if you think uh, that's a joke, it's not, and it's not meant to be funny, and it's pretty unsettling. And I do not recommend that film. But it is a. Uh, <laughs> I can tell you about some scenes after we cut, but it's. It's one of those movies where I was like, oh, "Man, why did I watch this? It's so stupid!" And it's—I think it's free streaming. So, uh, if you if you want to be bugged and just irritated and get something under your skin, watch that movie. All right, Kevin, did you think of one or did you, were you? Uh, you know, another one that's I guess more recent. See, I feel like a lot of the best ones are older ones. Uh, Alien, great ambiance movie. The original Amityville Horror, great ambiance movie. Uh, those are movies that really set it up with the way that they were shot. That's what always uh, that's what always made The Exorcist uh, a more enjoyable movie. But if we're going for something a little bit newer, this is going to be one that most people have seen. But I think out of the newer horror movies, a movie that sets it up really well and follows through on a feeling. And this is especially the same thing when I'm talking about the shots that give you the feeling of isolation. 28 Days Later. Yeah. Those shots of vacant London. And especially before like the zombies come out and he's literally just wandering through the city and he's like walking across the bridge. We did this last year, we talked about this movie, but I feel like this is a more modern movie that does the same thing of playing with space in a way to make you feel isolated, alone, and vulnerable. Well, you're reminding me of a movie that I really like that I think a lot of people think sucks. And I thought it was like actually pretty okay. I think it's a pretty entertaining movie. Uh, 
I will say it looks like it was filmed for like 18 bucks. So that's part of the reason I think people don't like it. But that's a 30 days of night. Have you guys seen that? Yeah, so with Josh Hartnett, like I think that's yes. a, that, that's a that's a surprisingly solid film that kind of captures the same thing you're talking about. Without going into the uh, a review of that movie, I felt like that was a an adaptation that was more or less better than the source material. All right, yeah, it has a really bad Rotten Tomatoes rating, like forty percent. It does not deserve that. Uh, yeah. People came into it, I think, expecting Twenty Eight Days Later, and they got a very different product. And that movie's rated R, and a horror movie that comes out today rated R deserves an extra grade, kind of like your heist movie. <laughs> like, all right, so that's uh, we went over the hour, even though we didn't have anything to talk about because no game to review. So hopefully you enjoyed that episode of the Seahawks Nest podcast. I'm Nathan Santo, joined as always by Kevin and Eric. We will see you guys next week, and go Hawks! Once more. <laughs>